0: Hey guys, welcome back to Transformation Church. Again, I'm Brad Livingston, the lead pastor here at TC, and we're gonna jump straight into what we have for you today, the pause series on part three, and we we'll have been getting great feedback from everybody just about, man, knowing that life is gonna bring us pauses. Like, we know we're gonna go through situations, we know we're gonna go through seasons where it feels like God hits the pause button on our life and why is that happening? And and so, man, the past two weeks, we've been able to talk about it a little bit, and we wanna jump into week three uh, right now. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I w- like watching in film and in TV, I'm a big film guy, I love movies uh, and TV. Uh, and some of the great directors, producers, writers, one of the things they're really good at is foreshadowing. Now, if you don't know what foreshadowing is, it's when they give you an inclination or an image in the beginning of the film or show that in the end is actually going to uh, be revealed in a different way, but they kind of lay out in the beginning what's going to happen. Uh, and so, one of the ways that I've seen this happen recently uh, and some of the people that are really good at it are the ones that wrote the Avengers films and so I know a lot of you Avengers buffs out there uh, you love you know Iron Man and Captain America and all that stuff Uh, and one of the things that uh, we see happen actually is they do a little bit of foreshadowing in their films. So to give you an example uh, at the end of the very first Iron Man movie Nick Fury comes on at the very end uh, after the credits and spoiler alert uh, if you haven't seen the movie but if you haven't it's 20 years old so you know or however it's like do yourself a favor but he comes on scene. he said like, now you're part of a bigger universe and that's a that's a foreshadowing if he's talking about something that's coming in films that are going to be leading up to this and and actually there's an even smaller gym uh, in there if you actually pay close attention if you watch Iron Man at all uh, is we see Robert Downey jr. Uh, playing Iron Man and, and if we pay close attention he's constantly working on his right arm right so his Iron Man suit uh, he's working on his arm arm piece constantly, he's firing from his arm piece, he's making sure that it's working right, and all those things, Uh, lo and behold, and I'm going to spoil this for you if you haven't seen it yet. So I'm about to tell you something about the Final Avengers within game. So if you haven't seen it, you might want to like jump ahead 30 seconds here, or go watch it and come back. I don't know what you need to do, but um, it is, uh, it, he's constantly working on his right hand and his right arm piece. And lo and behold, what uh, arm piece does he end up wearing when he snaps his fingers? Right. Uh, and so there is an element of foreshadowing that is taking place uh, throughout all the Avengers films where he's constantly uh, doing, that and doing that. All that to say is some of the great writers uh, do a lot of foreshadowing. And man, when we jump into the story of David, we actually see David doing some foreshadowing as well. Uh, and so we're going to go to First Samuel 17 and pick up on our story we've been dealing with in the life of David. And it says that Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in the line of the battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and the Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, right? Uh, And so to catch you up, if you have missed the last two weeks, or just to catch up, any of you that have maybe forgotten, we've talked about David, right? David is a young boy amongst many brothers for the, he's the son of Jesse. Uh, Samuel, the prophet comes to anoint the new king of Israel who is going to take over Saul's place. Uh, He comes, looks at all the brothers, David is in the field, uh, looks at all the brothers, says, this isn't the one. They bring in David, and David is in fact the one that gets anointed, the future king of Israel. After that he gets sent back to the field right? Because just because you are called to something in the future doesn't mean you're ready for it now. There are things in the field that are going to prepare you to reign in the kingdom. Uh, And so that was week one. Then we talked about week two, which is the pause of development, where David then goes through a season of showing himself faithful in the development process that is actually getting him ready for the promise and the season that's coming. And for many of us, we can identify with that as well, right? We go through a season of development and we don't like it. We feel like it's a delay, but your delay is a development getting you ready for your destiny. And we talked about that last week. And this week, what we want to talk to you is about this pause of perseverance, right? And so the Bible gives us details about this guy named Goliath. Now, he's a giant, right? Huge guy. And uh, I almost tried to figure out ways that I could like, present like, imagery for you of how big this guy is. But he was huge. matter of fact, the Bible goes into detail on not just how big he was, but how heavy and how big the things he brought with him were. And So we pick up in 1 Samuel 17, 8 and 9, and we're going to talk a little bit about this story of David and Goliath, but a little bit differently than you're probably used to today. And I want you to jump in with us. So go ahead, get out your Bibles if you haven't already. 1 Samuel 17, 8 through 9 says this, Goliath said, "'Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants.'" But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Right. So in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I want you to make a a mental note of that word afraid. Right. Right. So David gets sent uh, at this point in the story. We're fast forwarding a little bit. David gets sent to take food to his brothers who are on the front line of the army that is standing in front of Goliath. So they're looking at Goliath. His brothers are. And they are terrified. Right. And so when we jump down to verse 26, David is talking here and he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies?" of the living God. Not just my army, not just my brothers, not just Saul, but the armies of the living God. And so the brothers get all upset. Like, they get all hurt. Like, man, what are you talking about? You, you don't even know. Like, you're a little boy, quote, unquote. Like, you're young. You haven't been in battle. You don't know what like what these things are. Like, get out of here. And, and the brothers actually challenge him and say he's just being honorary, right? And so in verses 31 through 33, again, of 1 Samuel 17, When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them to Saul, the king. And he said for him, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, David talking to Saul, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Now, David is a boy. We know that he's a young man. But compared to the Philistine, he, they consider him a boy, right? So we estimate maybe mid 20s at this point. Um, but I want you to think about for a second: Goliath is huge. You know, um, there's a, a tiff on how big he was, somewhere between six eight, and some even estimate up to nine feet tall. But let's just say on the small size, he was six foot eight. The average man in that time frame uh, coming out of Israel might have been five foot three. So even like (laughs) it doesn't matter uh, how spry David was, man, there's no way he could have compared to him. Right. And so he says, David says to Saul, your servant, I will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him. You can't do that. And he actually says, like, you're a youth. Like, you're too young. This, This guy has been fighting in battle since he was your age. And we go to verse 34 through 37. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Now, This is David saying that when a lion and a bear came to steal the sheep that he was responsible to guard, he killed both the lion and the bear. And so he says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be no different since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord Who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear? He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. Now, I like to think of that as Saul being like, Yeah, good luck, buddy, right? So, but he says, Go and let the Lord be with you. And I want you to grab a hold of something for a second. Because sometimes we are going to encounter difficult things in our life and we're going to need to trust that God is going to deliver us through uh, the paw or the hand of those things that are coming to attack us. I really want you to grab a hold of this. Now we're not talking about Goliath right now. We're talking about the lions and the bears. You see, it's when you're in the field and you're having to fight against the lion and the bear That you're finding out how much God is trusting, how much he can move in, and how much he's working on your life. You see, it's in the field of development that God is going to show you, right, what he's capable of through your life. So that when you get to the promise, you have something to look back on and say, when God was with me there, so I know God's going to be with me here. So he comes in and I want you to understand that the Lord like David is saying the Lord who is with me and I really want you to grab a hold of this. How many times have you had the opportunity to come in conflict with situations and struggles in your life and you don't declare how powerful you are, how awesome you are. You know, we live in this mentality where it's like, you know, we're, we're just like we're, we're the best thing ever. We're, we're amazing. Uh, and like, how dare anyone look down on us and tell me that I'm not awesome? Well, the reality is this, man, God wants you to understand that he is awesome and everything that great that's happening through your life is happening because he's working in your life. Listen, every good and precious thing that has happened to you, that will happen to you is happening because the Lord's hand is on you. And even when you meet difficult circumstances, he delivers you from the paw of the lion or the bear, right? But I want you to think for a second. I mean, even for myself, God, who delivered me, like His hand delivered me from the hands, uh, or the paw, if you will, of the things that tried to grip my life, right? So it, it, it re- delivered me from drugs and alcohol, from addictions and issues that I had in my own personal life, right? Who delivered me from the struggles of my life and who carried me through my darkest hour. He delivered me from all of these things in my early life. And, and this giant will be no different. You see, you're going to have to persevere through the battles in life and on the field, because the battles behind closed doors, the enemies that stand against you, and through the power of God, those things will be defeated. I want you to grab a hold of that. Through the power of God, not through your willpower, not through you being educated, not because you're awesome, through the power of God, the enemies in your life can be defeated. So, These individual areas of your life are defeated. So David gathers his stones, right? And many of you have heard the story, but to catch up for those that haven't, David gathers his stones, takes them to the field, and Goliath starts making fun of them. He said, this is the guy you send out to fight me? And so in verse 48 through 51 of First Samuel 17, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face on the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck him and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of the sheath and killed and cut off the head of Goliath. And when the Philistines saw this, they saw that their champion was dead. They fled. Now, I want you to take all of that story. And for many of you, that's not the first time you've heard it. But for some of you, it might be right. But here's what I want you to understand as we've told this story. it's your job isn't to defeat giants. It's to persevere through the process. I want to grab a hold of this today. Your job isn't to defeat giants. You see, many times when we hear this message preached, many times when we read the story of David and Goliath, we grab a hold of it like, man, I've got giants to kill in my life and and I'm just gonna go slay them. I'm gonna sling the stone of faith and we're gonna see them fall. Can I tell you something? Your job isn't to defeat giants. It's to persevere through the process to get you to the place where God can deliver you from the hand of everything that would come against you, whether it's a, a bear, whether it's a lion, or whether it's a giant. And so we can associate, associate ourselves with David's struggles, though. Think about it. That's what we've talked about the last few weeks is struggle after struggle, opportunity after opportunity to be frustrated and overwhelmed, discouraged and bitter. We see David, and we can associate ourselves with those struggles. But the greatest battle in our lives is not ours. It's the Lord's. And for many of us, I want you to grab a hold of this. You see, God is not just the God that we go to to be saved. He's the God we go to for everything. We need God in our life for every aspect of what he's going to do. Your giant, hear me today, isn't your pink slip? Your giant isn't your doctor's report? Your giant isn't your empty pantry that you're going to slay with a stone? And I want to take you back to what we talked about at the beginning of this message. We talked about foreshadowing, how in the beginning you'll introduce an image that in the end you'll realize, oh, that image actually represented something. You see, David is the foreshadow of Jesus who is coming on the scene. David is foreshadowing the, the way David slayed the giant. David was foreshadowing the giant that Jesus would one day kill But he didn't just do it for his behalf, he did it for ours. You see, the story of David and Goliath isn't about what giants you can kill. The story of David and Goliath is about the giant that Jesus defeated for you. The story of David and Goliath is about the giant in your life that Jesus came on the scene and killed for you. I want you to understand something today. You're not David. Let me say that again. You're not David. You see, Jesus is David. Jesus is the greater David. David represents, he foreshadowed who Jesus would be. Your giant that needed to be sin or needed to be slain is sin. You see, the sin in your life is the undefeatable giant. It's not your unemployment or your enemy speaking against you at work or your worldly problems. You want to know what the giant in your life is that needs to be killed? It's your pornography problem. It's the lying tongue that you can't tame. It's your unforgiveness. It's your addiction. It's your sin. And the giant that needed to die in your life wasn't the one standing between you and your best life now. The giant that was standing in your life was between you and the eternity with God and the promises that would reign in your life in heaven. You see, it was the giant that would Be in the way of what God wanted to do in your life, but also how God wanted to be with you in eternity. But your David came on the scene, and his name is Jesus, and he dealt death, a final blow. Not just death, but death hell, and the grave. He overcame all of what sin wanted to introduce into our life. And he dealt that one blow, one stone, one life was given. And in three days, he defeated death, hell, and the grave resurrected and has introduced new life to you. So you want to know who we are? Let me help you out today. Who am I in this story of David versus Goliath? We're David's brothers. We're the ones hiding behind the rocks, knowing that there's this giant in our life that we couldn't defeat. We're the ones looking at our sin going, there's no way I could overcome that. And hear me today, you're right. Your sin is too big. It is too deadly. It is a giant you can't kill. And through the power of God, you may defeat aspects of your life. There may be a bear that you can kill through the power of God. There may be a lion that you can kill through the power of God. And you may defeat certain areas of your life. But hear me today, the giant in your life, sin is too big for you to handle. But you needed someone to come on the scene. You see, we're David's brothers, huddled up in fear, hoping that something would take care of this giant for us. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, This defies the living God that says that nothing can be made new. And so he kills it once and for all. So I want to reword this story for a second to help you with context. So if we go back to 1 Samuel 17, verses 8 through 9, I'm going to fill some words in for you to kind of help with this context. Satan said, not Goliath, Satan said, choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and, and serve us. You see, Satan comes on the scene and says, "You know what, Brad? You know what, John? Right? Whoever is watching out there, you know what, Terry? You know what, David? Uh, I tell you what: If if you can defeat me, then we'll serve you. But guess what? We can't. In First Samuel seventeen eleven. But when Brad or John or Terry or David when Brad and all his friends, family, and everyone else heard these words of the devil, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. You want to know why? We can't do it. But guess what? With one fatal blow, Jesus killed the only giant in our lives that we can't defeat. So the why did this have to happen? And this is what I want you to grab a hold of today. This message is so important because this is the essence of the gospel that many times we get wrong. Why did this have to happen? And the answer is the wrath of God. The wrath of God. You see, we always talk about the love of God, but I'm here to mention to you today briefly that the wrath of God didn't go away because Jesus died on the cross. The wrath of God that turned people into pillars of salt in the Old Testament, that waged war uh, against those that were coming against his people, that God still exists and he has not changed. So what happened to God's wrath? Hear me today. The sin in your life, still deserves God's wrath. The sin in my life still deserves God's wrath. So why don't I get it? Well, the answer is this. When Jesus went to the cross, he consumed God's wrath that was set aside for me and all believers. He consumed that wrath in himself. And that is how he dealt with our sin. That is how he dealt sin, the fatal blow. He consumed all of God's rage and wrath that would come against us, and he brought it on himself. You didn't need... uh, I'm sorry. You see, Satan wasn't what needed to be defeated. I want want you to hear this. Satan wasn't what needed to be defeated. He was already defeated at the cross. So Satan doesn't need to be defeated today. Your sin needs to be defeated, right? Right? You see, you didn't need Satan to stop tormenting you. What you need is for Satan's leverage over you to go away. Now, don't get me wrong. I definitely agree that uh, the enemy is out with a plan and he torments us. He brings things against our minds. So I'm not belittling that at all. What I'm telling you is because Jesus has already dealt sin, the fatal blow, what we don't need is to continually combat the devil from a salvation standpoint, God loves us so much he's already brought salvation to us as believers so we don't have to fight for that. What we have to do is go to God and because he gives us new life through Jesus Christ what that does is now it gives us the opportunity to remove the leverage of sin over our life. We remove shame. We remove the consequences of the sin because Jesus dealt with it already. So when he comes against you He doesn't create something out of thin air. He's using your past, your sin. And that's the beauty of what Jesus did on the cross is because he dealt that final blow. That consequence has been removed and we get to live freely in Christ without the shame, but grateful and worshiping through the position of mercy and grace. You see, we were held hostage by sin in our lives that separated us from God. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't eliminate God's wrath set aside for sin. He consumed it. And so in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we see this laid out extremely well. It says that for our sake, he made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. To put it a different way from one of the other Bible translations, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so some of us need to stop fighting the devil and the enemy so much and start resting in our repentance. When we come to God and say, God, I'm turning this over to you. I don't want it in my life anymore. I want to go. I want to follow you. I want to be turned away from this addiction, this problem, this sinful nature that I have. What we're doing is we're turning to God. and, And so now that We're with God. We don't have to fight for righteousness. We don't have to fight for sinlessness. We don't have to fight for perfection. We don't have to fight for holiness. We don't have to fight to deserve God's love. Hear me today. It's a free gift. And so God comes on the scene through Jesus and says, you know what? I'm going to show you how much I love you. And we're going to deal with sin. And I'm going to give you access back to me. And you're not going to have to pay for it. What kind of beauty is that? And this should be the case for all of us that are going after God, that we would persevere because we're talking about the pause of perseverance. You see, we persevere not to earn God's position. We persevere because we have God's position. He has given us access through Jesus Christ. Hear me today, and I want you to grab a hold of this. Everything you will ever need to stand before a just and holy God has already been given to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that message so why is perseverance so hard? i want to give you this as we wrap up today. If Jesus has already defeated our greatest giant, why is perseverance so hard? Well, because we have placed eternal values on temporal things. So we don't grieve over things that have eternal consequences, right? I want you to think about this for a second. When's the last time you lost sleep over someone that died without Jesus in their life? When's the last time the gospel was so real to you that you grieved in your heart because people were going to hell? When is the last time that a close friend and and a loved one uh, loved their sin more than Jesus and that really gripped you? You see, the reality is uh, we grieve deeply over the things that hold little eternal value, don't we? And we're all guilty of this. We're more passionate about the things of this world that God says we're not even supposed to be passionate about. We're losing our witness and Jesus and the gospel because our voice is losing value to declare non-eternal and non-gospel centered things as the things that we care so much about. We're talking about all the things that we care about, but none of those things are eternal. Meanwhile, all the eternal things that God is telling us we should care about, we don't. At least it's not evident that we do because our voice is being used for things that hear me today, when you die, won't matter. So where are we using our voice and what should the gospel do in us? We love our things, our possessions, our ideologies, the things of this world so much that we've diminished the value of Jesus Christ and what he did for us to unconsciously believe that if we have any voice left after arguing over worldly things, then we will give a voice to eternal things. We need to turn that around we need to be a voice for eternal things i said this it's hard to persevere when we give temporal things temporary things eternal value and eternal things temporal value we need to get back to being focused on what matters the most and if you're already in that position awesome but if you're not let's get there So what would it look like for us to pause our lives each day and give proper value to everything we have, we encounter, we deal with, we hope for, we're working for? So I'm praying that God would give us the clarity needed to to drive to an eternal position on the things that matter most. So I want to pray with you right now. Number one, that if you're here today and you're watching, that you would understand what Jesus has done for you. And the story of David and Goliath, where this small boy defeats this great giant, or small young man defeats this great giant, you would understand today that it is not about you defeating giants. You're not David. Jesus has already defeated your giant today. And so if you're watching and you're saying, I've been trying so hard to defeat my own giants, I've been trying so hard to to be good enough. I've been trying so hard to earn God's love, and, and, and I feel like I needed to be godly before I could come to God. And I'm here to tell you today, if you come to God, He'll make you godly. So don't get the cart ahead of the horse. Don't seek perfection. And at every attempt in doing so, realize that you're failing at it and let that be the reason why you don't keep pursuing God. Pursue God and He will make you everything He set out to make you and that includes right in his own eyes so today if you need a clean slate you need the gospel the good news of jesus christ that he has dealt your sin a final blow if you need that truth to bring alive in you a new person today i want to invite you into that life and today we're going to pray with you and today if you're ready for that new life you want your sins wiped away you want that final blow that jesus dealt to be dealt to the sin in your life a new beginning is available to you so I want you to repeat this prayer after me if you're ready to say yes to that new life and this prayer doesn't make you saved your faith in Jesus alone makes you saved but if you want to pray this prayer this puts words to the actions of your heart that says Jesus I'm giving you everything and so repeat this prayer after me say dear Jesus forgive me forgive me of my sins I believe in you I believe that you died for me I believe that you paid my price. I believe you've wiped away my sins. So now I give you my life. Through your resurrection, you have given me new life. So I'll follow you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.